Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Control Up, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. Control Up, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Policy Pack Software, now part of Netrix, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights. Manage lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. World Password Day was last week, and to mark the day, Microsoft shared or announced a few related topics and announcements. First up, Microsoft announced support for the expansion of a common password list standard created by the FIDO Alliance and the World Wide Web Consortium. They say these multi-device FIDO credentials, sometimes referred to as passkeys, represent a monumental step toward a world without passwords. It was also alluded to in other publications that Microsoft will be working more closely with other vendors such as Apple and Google on a standard around passwordless credentials and authentication. Microsoft said more announcements will be coming to their passwordless solutions in Azure Active Directory and Windows that will expand passwordless to more use cases. They also took advantage of the day to remind people of passwordless support for Windows 365, Azure Virtual Desktop, and Virtual Desktop Infrastructure or VDI as well as password management in the Microsoft Authenticator app and more. Also associated with Password Day, GitHub has announced that it will require two-factor authentication for users who contribute code on its service. Currently, only about 16.5% of GitHub users leverage MFA, so clearly this is a good move. The enforcement is expected to come sometime in 2023. WindowsCentral.com had a feature on a new Microsoft Outlook One email client app that may replace the default mail app in Windows 10 and Windows 11 in the future. They say the app is much like the experience you get with the web app via Outlook.com today, but there are a couple of new additions exclusive to this new client, such as the ability to configure the ribbon along the top to a more traditional Outlook style, and that kind of means, at least from looking at the screenshots, the menu and buttons along the top look more like the native locally installed version of Outlook today rather than the web apps. The app may also come to Linux and macOS too, but it reads like it is still in very early days of development. WindowsCentral.com did share a download link, however, and the URL does seem to contain the word dog in it, which I would guess is a reference to eating their own dog food for testing the application, which again may allude to the fact that this is pretty early in development. I guess the interesting implications for this app is the fact that it is a modern style app that is really a web app, but kind of framed as an actual full application. It'll be interesting to see what resource usage will be like with this app. 
it doesn't always seem like these kind of web app frame applications that are basically their own containerized browser running a web app is necessarily the best way forward in terms of resource utilization. But again, that all probably depends on what framework and how they've decided to develop this app. So I guess we'll find out pretty soon. The Hacker News featured a blast from the past this week. They reported two high severity security vulnerabilities which went undetected for several years that have been discovered in a legitimate driver that's part of Avast and AVG antivirus solutions. Remember those times when almost everyone had Avast or AVG on their home PCs? Well, these are tracked as CVE-2022-26522 and 26523, and the flaws reside in a legitimate anti-rootkit kernel driver named ASWARPOT.sys and are said to have been introduced in a vast version 12.1, which was released all the way back in June 2016. Specifically, the shortcomings are rooted in a socket connection handler in the kernel driver that could lead to privilege escalation by running code in the kernel from a non-administrator user, potentially causing the operating system to crash and display a blue screen of death error. Worryingly, the flaws could also be exploited as part of a second stage browser attack or to perform a sandbox escape, leading to far reaching consequences. So this is also if you're looking at maybe non antivirus software, because obviously antivirus has to run pretty low in the system. But if you're looking at other applications that maybe have an agent, if they run kernel mode, this is one of those concerns because if there's a vulnerability that could have very far reaching implications. So if possible to get user mode agents rather than kernel mode, that's a good idea. The good news here is there is no sign that these vulnerabilities have exploited in the wild at this point. So make sure you're on the most recent versions of these antivirus products. Not patch Tuesday related, but patch related all the same. F5 patched 43 bugs. One is rated critical, 17 are rated high, and 24 are rated medium, and one is low in severity. The Hacker News reports chief among the flaws is CVE-2022-1388, which carries a severity score of 9.8 out of 10 and stems from a lack of authentication check, potentially allowing an attacker to take control of an affected system. An advisory from F5 states, quote, This vulnerability may allow an unauthenticated attacker with network access to the big IP system through the management port and or self-IP addresses to execute arbitrary system commands, create or delete files, or disable services. There is no data plane exposure. This is a control plane issue only, end quote. Now, while they said that, I did see that Kevin Beaumont was actually tweeting just this morning about this vulnerability and the fact that it appears that those who are using load balancing services may also be affected, not even on the actual control plane. So uh, not clear at this time. He was only just tweeting it this morning. Um, that is maybe yet to be confirmed. Now, these 43 fixes in total are for various different F5 products, and I'll share a link to the article that I'm referencing for this story, and that contains a list of different versions and products. 
And you can find that link at 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode, which is episode 229. BeepyComputer.com reports that Trend Micro Antivirus has fixed a false positive that was affecting its Apex One endpoint security solution that caused Microsoft Edge updates to be tagged as malware and the Windows registry to be incorrectly modified. According to hundreds of customer reports that started streaming in earlier last week on their company forum and also on social media, the false positive affected update packages stored in the Microsoft Edge installation folder. While the fix provided by Trend Micro for the false positive can easily be applied by updating Apex One, some customers are also reporting that this issue also led to Windows registry entries being altered after the agent's damage cleanup tool was executed. If you'd like to clean up the registry changes, they say that you can restore from backups that are made by the Apex One agent, which is available in the damage cleanup or after the damage cleanup runs. The company also shared a script that would help administrators to automate the registry restoration procedure with the help of group policies or other enterprise scripting tools. So essentially a script that you can run with whatever you run scripts with. Also interesting that it's an antivirus that's doing this based off Microsoft Edge because Microsoft's own antivirus, Defender, in my experience, has a history of identifying legitimate applications, third-party applications as malware. So I guess the shoe is on the other foot here. Nairametrics.com published an article warning that Microsoft is advising Windows 11 users to uninstall a recent update after it was discovered to cause certain applications to crash. In a support document, Microsoft admitted Windows 11 update KB5012643 causes apps using specific .NET 3.5 framework components to become unstable. Microsoft is saying in the support document released on April 25th, quote, after installing this update, some .NET framework 3.5 apps might have issues or fail to open. Affected apps are using certain optional components in .NET framework 3.5, such as Windows Communication Foundation or WCF and Windows Workflow. WWF components like the old wrestling company or the World Wildlife Fund okay I didn't even know that one existed or at least that acronym they say to mitigate this issue you can uninstall this update what the implications of not having that patched (laughs) remains to be seen though hopefully there's going to be a fixed fix in the future They say that if you cannot uninstall this update, you can also mitigate the issue by re-enabling .NET Framework 3.5 and the Windows Communication Foundation in Windows features. And just a few quick hit stories to wrap up the news for this week. In a bid to boost employee morale, Google are said to be getting rid of their twice-a-year employee reviews and moving to a -a once-a-year annual review. SeekingAlpha.com reports as part of the new system, the tech giant will implement a slate of new ratings levels. Transformative impact, outstanding impact, significant impact, moderate impact, and not enough impact. So the reason why this caught my attention and I thought it was particularly of interest is because Google 
have kind of been doing things a little to the extreme in the past. Like it's legendary in the industry of how many different interviews you have to do in order to get employed by Google. It made news before when Google had made a decision that maybe degrees aren't all that important and more industry experience rather than a degree is better for finding the right candidates. And now obviously they're moving away from more frequent employer reviews to the once annual, which I think a lot of companies already do anyways, um, simply for the fact that doing employer reviews takes a lot of time. So it doesn't make that much sense from a time cost perspective to do it more than once a year. I'd say there's some employees who are maybe bummed because maybe they like to hear more regularly on their progress. But I think for most of us, we're just so busy in a given work week that one makes more sense. Having two would probably hurt morale for people who are very busy. So interesting to see. The awesome Jeffrey Snover was tweeting recently and I thought it was pretty interesting. He was saying that when he was doing the prototype for what became PowerShell, a friend had cautioned him saying that that was the sort of thing that got people fired. And he said to tease, he didn't get fired for it, but he did get demoted. And he goes on to explain how basically following his passion and doing this that obviously has had a great, tremendous value to all of us in enterprise IT actually led to him having to take a step down within the Microsoft organization. So if you happen to be listening to this one out of hours and you have a drink in your hand, raise one to Jeffrey for making a sacrifice that has gone on to benefit so many of us. And to read the full thread, which I suggest you do, I'll share a link to the original tweet and then you can read through because if you're not familiar with Twitter, threads essentially work that the person replies to their own tweet and it shows up all one after another in a timeline format. Finally, congratulations to Pierre Marmignan as he shared the awesome news that his single, that's right, Pierre from Norscale, uh, which sold to Citrix to become Citrix Wem, is also a musician. I had no idea until I saw this tweet, but his single, Coming Through, ranked at 11th in the Music Week commercial pop chart in the United Kingdom. And I guess his music is no joke either, because for example, Coming Through, right now on Spotify, has over one and a half million plays. And some of his other songs, like Imaginary Problems, has 1.1 million. If This Is What It Feels Like has over one million. And there's also a very recent song, Underwater, that has over half a million plays. I mean, I'd be happy to just excel at one thing in life. And Pierre's here killing it in IT and tech and also killing it in music. So congratulations, Pierre. And now, a hot job. Good news for all those aspiring techies out there. Microsoft has opened up its apprenticeship program for people who don't have a technical background but want to transition into tech. The software engineering and technical program management apprenticeships will be held in Atlanta and Redmond, so obviously for those in the United States. The application window dates are from May 25th to June 15th. For more details on this, I will share a link 
or if you even want to apply you can use the link and that will be with this episode which is again episode 229 and you'll find that at fivebytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode and now this episode scripts tricks and tips Lee Holmes shared some PowerShell commandlets that allow you to track changes to the Windows registry. And this one actually caught the attention of BleepyComputer.com as they referenced it for a story. The commands appear to write a record of changes made to the registry into text files. This is interesting. I'm not sure I would use it over Procmon or Regmon myself, but maybe it would make sense to use this programmatically for some people and also maybe just for some particular use cases. Um, whatever the use cases, it's pretty cool to know there's another way to do this and to also do it programmatically. And speaking of that article, I believe Lee was responding to Swift on security on Twitter with this suggestion or with this tip. Well, Swift on security also shared a tip, uh, which is a YouTube video on what's up with Sysmon and the Windows Event Viewer. So if you don't follow Swift on security, they're a big advocate for working in the IT help desk as your entry into IT. And just the fact that that becomes like a very solid foundational knowledge and learning step for all IT workers. And in troubleshooting problems in an enterprise IT environment, the sys internals tools, and obviously the event log are core to this. So this video will be a really great introduction to Sysmon and the Windows Event Viewer. Mike Francis shared a published post on techcommunity.microsoft.com, which is a method for creating desktop shortcuts with your MSIX packages. One of the downsides of MSIX is how it handles your currently packaged application shortcuts. This method will allow you to use PowerShell to create the shortcuts you want for your MSIX packages going forward. It's not an ideal solution, but in this instance it works and it helps you get over one of the challenges of MSIX, of which there are many, unfortunately. The Windows 365 Accelerator event that I talked about previously on the podcast already took place, but the good news is the recording is now available, so if you'd like to learn about Windows 365 and you haven't maybe got your toes wet yet on it, this is a good jumping-off point. The awesome Guy Leach had a very simple and straight-to-the-point tip but did you know that you can paste registry key names into regedit so if you have regedit open on one system you can jump to the same key on another or if someone sends a key name in an email you can just copy and paste it into regedit and have quicker navigation and then you can add keys to favorites i actually did know this and it's really cool so more recently i think it's over the last couple of years microsoft moved to make regedit kind of more like explorer in the way you navigated um, so it's much easier to navigate through regedit now and finally this last one isn't going to be too relevant to everyone out there and it's not necessarily enterprise it related but i blogged last week on how to start a podcast um, the reason i did this was because i've had several people in the community um, some working for vendors some who just wanted to create their own community podcasts, reach out to me and ask me how to get started and just for some advice. So rather than uh, just DM and email steps to individuals as they come to me, I figured I would create a blog post and then share that with everyone. 
So if anyone comes out and asks me in the future, I could just grab this blog post and share it with them. But if you're thinking about starting your own podcast, this could be an interesting article for you to read too. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. This episode is coming out much earlier than usual. Um, That is because I'm traveling this week. I'm hoping to get back into the usual release cadence again for next week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening.